You're going to love this. Just love it. Promises, promises. We'll deliver. From Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ in the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cozy Cottage Grove, out in Pennsylvania in lovely Lancaster on 93 FM WLRI, out in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, and now on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Also heard coast-to-coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices channel, on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, and of course... Radio Sputnik, five days a week. You can run, but you can't hide from the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, and muckraker. And swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, joining you for another thrilling, action-packed adventure coming up a little bit later on the show. Uh, we, we got a number of things to cover. Among other things, I, I hope to talk about why Martin O'Malley, who? Yes, Martin O'Malley, could well determine whether Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders will become the Democratic Party's uh, 2016 nominee. Yeah. You might think, uh, who? Bar- Martin O'Malley, he's barely getting, you know, 1% in polls. Four percent in some of the uh, most recent polls out of Iowa. Uh, why is he so important? I will explain in a little bit. Also, I will explain that uh, while we knew, while we already knew that the Koch brothers built their so-called free market oil industry empire on the uh, Russian Stalinist money that was given to their father, uh, it would be unfair to call them, you know, out and out. Stalinist commies. That would be wrong. Uh, But information from a new book now explains that their father was also a Nazi. So we could uh, call them Nazis. Oh, well, that's better. Yeah, let's just call them (laughs) Nazis. Um, Or at least he made, uh, the father made a lot of money from Adolf Hitler. We'll get to that also in in a little bit. That chuckle you heard was Desi Doyen, our producer. How are you, Desi Doyen? I'm good chuckling away over here. Well done. Uh, Also, our co-host on the Green News Report. I'll get to that uh, actually in a moment to today's Green News Report and our other uh, main story today that I'm looking forward to covering. But first, some listener mail. That's right. You can always reach me anytime. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Uh, earlier in the week, we had on uh, uh, Professor John Allen Paulos from Temple University, the mathematician uh, from Temple University. He's also a columnist. You may have seen him uh, uh, on uh, ABC News and elsewhere. Fifteen years after the uh, uh, election was given, given 
to George W. Bush in 2000 in Florida because the U.S. Supreme Court allowed the state to not count the votes of voters. John Allen Palos is, is still feeling really bad about what happened. He blames himself. He said that uh, because of an op-ed that he wrote at the time in the New York Times, uh, I think the uh, the headline was measuring bacteria with a yardstick. Basically, he was arguing that it's so close in the state of Florida, you could flip a coin and be just about as accurate as uh, as it was possible to be. But that's not entirely true, as we discussed on this program. By the way, a very popular uh, program this week, that one. You might uh, check that out. You can go to bradblog.com, download the whole thing, or go to uh, iTunes and, uh, and get it there uh, for free. The man who blames himself for George W. Bush's quote-unquote victory in 2000. You can listen to that. Um, Someone else who was listening to that was a guy by the name of Ion Sancho, apparently, who sent me some email after this was done. Now, Ion uh, is the supervisor of elections in Leon County, Florida. Leon County is the capital of Florida. He, he well, he, this is the guy. He is so popular uh, in the state of Florida, or at least he was back in 2000, that he was put in charge of the statewide recount that would have happened had it not been stopped by the U.S. Supreme Court. He actually was so beloved by both parties, they trusted him in 2000 to oversee the entire uh, state, the entire state recount that really should have gone forward. He's a great election director. He's a great guy. I've gotten to know him uh, a little bit over the years. He's been on this show many, many times uh, throughout the year. Not lately, though. We need to get him back on. Uh, He was also, you may uh, recognize him if you happen to see HBO's Emmy-nominated documentary, uh, hacking democracy. He was the one who allowed them, the first one, to allow the, uh, uh, an independent computer scientist to come in and study the Diebold voting system that they used in Leon County. They don't use it anymore, but they used it at the time. And, uh, you know, back then, this was uh, some years ago, back when the uh, voting machine company said, nobody can look at our software, nobody can look at our hardware, it's completely proprietary. They still say that, but now uh, so many people, uh, including a Princeton University, after I obtained a Diebold uh, touchscreen system and shared it with them, they were able to hack it within about a minute's time. So, so many have now done this that, uh, well, it's old hat. But at the time when Ion Sancho allowed these computer scientists to come in and it, as seen in that movie, Hacking Democracy, they were able, the computer scientist, in this case, guy by the name of Harry Hursty, was able to flip the election using that optical scan tabulator. That was used to count paper ballots. Again, that's not touchscreens. That's paper ballots. And it it was hacked, this OpScan system, and it flipped a paper ballot election, a mock election that they held uh, in the documentary. And you see the results actually flipping before your eyes in a way that you would never know unless you actually bothered to count the hand counted paper ballots, which we generally don't do in this country. So Ion uh, Sancho in Leon County allowed them to to do that. Uh, it caused an earthquake, reverberations across the nation when it came to these voting systems. And yet we, you know, still use the exact same systems. He got rid of them in Leon County, but they're still used all over the, uh, the country, including in New Hampshire, where the exact same system that flipped the results of that mock election will once again be used 
In 2016, uh, in the first in the nation primary to determine uh, who wins New Hampshire, whether Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton, and then uh, all the other people on the Republican side, you're familiar with them. So that, those systems are still used. In any event, uh, Ion Sancho heard my broadcast, apparently, with uh, John Allen Paulos about what went on in 2000, which Ion has a lot of uh, interest in, obviously, still, even 15 years later. He sends a note and he says, props for Dr. Paulos broadcast. He said, hi, Brad, I'm still here in Florida fighting the good fight and found Dr. Paulos's comments right on. He also said, uh, don't forget that Roger Stone, who currently works for Trump, actually, he, he uh, no longer officially works for the Trump campaign, but he did. Uh, don't forget that Roger Stone illegally paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for ads in all the nation's leading newspapers to convince to convince the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn the Florida Supreme Court, which had ordered that statewide recount, using the Wells dissent as part of this tactic. Now, Wells was the uh, one who dissented about uh, on the uh, Florida Supreme Court when they required that statewide count and Justice Wells had used John Allen Paulos's op-ed in his dissent. So that dissent, uh, that op-ed, I should say, uh, ended up having a huge effect on that 2000 race. No wonder John Allen Paulos uh, still feels terrible about it. In any event, good to hear from Ion Sancho. He says, take care, my friend. We ought to, uh, Desi, we got to figure out an excuse, a reason, anything to get uh, <laughs> uh, Ion back on the show. Ion okay. is also the one who will tell you that if you can't see it, you shouldn't trust it, which is an argument against op-scan systems because you can't see how they count ballots. It's an argument against, certainly against touchscreen systems. Well, isn't he also the one who says, don't just trust yeah. your election officials? That's right. And he's an election official. Correct. Yeah. He says that people like him should not be trusted, that if you can't see it, you can't trust it. And, and don't, you know, simply take the word of, of an election official, you know, because you get some election officials get very testy when you ask, hey, can I see the ballots? Can I see what you're doing? Can I see how you're counting uh, the, the results of our elections? And they take this as a as an insult that somehow you're you're claiming they're trying to steal the election or something. No, we're just trying to do our duty and oversee our own democracy. So Ion Sancho, frankly, is an election integrity hero as far as I'm concerned. All right. Also coming up a little bit later, and I know uh, I want to get to our interview uh, very shortly here. You'll be coming back, Desi Doyen, with uh, the Green News report on yes. Obama's final State of the Union. We didn't get to uh, go into great detail on yesterday's program about it, specifically about uh, environment and uh, climate and energy issues that he touched on quite yes. a bit in oh, the speech, yeah. actually. I think almost more than anything else in the speech. Uh, so we'll get to that in our latest Green News report. But in our previous Green News report, I'll tell you, Desi Doyen came to me, came with this story to the report, and I thought, this can't possibly be true. It absolutely <laughs> blew my mind. And so I wanted to learn a little bit more about it. And so today, I hope we will. All right. To set this up, as President Obama noted in his final State of the Union address on Tuesday, the clean ener energy industry is booming in the U.S. Booming in a good way, by the way, unlike the not clean energy industry booming in a whole different way. But in any event, the U.S. solar industry, in fact, grew by 20 percent for a third year in a row. 
according to the National Solar Job Census of 2015, is compiled by the industry trade group, the Solar Foundation. That report calculates that the solar energy industry now employs more people in the U.S. than the coal or oil industries. No place uh, was booming uh, really as much as uh, sunny Nevada until very, very recently. According to the uh, UK's Guardian's uh, coverage of this, although Nevada is one of the sunniest places in the world, there has recently been a dark cloud hovering over the rooftop solar industry in the state. Just before Christmas, Nevada's Public Utility Commission, the PUC, gave the state's only power company. They have a monopoly there, the power company. NV Energy is their name. The Public Utility Commission gave the state's uh, uh, monopoly energy company, NV Energy, permission to charge higher rates and fees to solar panel users, a move that immediately shattered, just shattered, the rooftop solar industry's business model. In addition to the new monthly fee, they report, which will increase from $40 to $40 from $12 over the next five years, customers will get less back from the utility for energy that their solar panels capture and feed into the main power grid. Whereas previously, these customers received full retail value for their surplus electricity. This is the electricity that they gathered in their solar panels and sold back to the grid, back to NV Energy, so they could then give it to their other customers. So they would get the full retail value for that electricity from NV Energy. But now, NV Energy will only pay a third of that price for that exported electricity. The uneven effect would be that during dark hours and cloudy days, for example, solar customers could pay full price for energy even after contributing two or three times as much electricity to the power grid during the same day. As the Alliance for Solar Choice frames it, the $40 fee eliminates the 11 to $15 solar users, uh, $15 that solar users typically save on their monthly electric bills. And now, the result of this decision by the uh, uh, by the Public Utility Commission has meant that the solar companies in Nevada are literally shutting their doors and leaving the state as of just the past few days. They're done. This industry was booming in Nevada, and now they say they can't make any money, and, and their customers can't save any money with solar. Now, a press release out from Sunrun Inc., one of the largest uh, dedicated residential solar companies in the U.S., said last week that it has ceased all operations in Nevada, resulting in hundreds of job losses. Sunrun said the layoff and its exit from Nevada are the direct result of new rules adopted by Governor Sandoval's Public Utilities Commission, as well as actions taken by NV Energy and Nevada politicians. Sunrun is now the third national solar company to announce that the uh, PUC's anti-solar rules have forced them to cease operations in the state. On January 1, the PUC adopted rules that are more adverse to solar customers than those publicly proposed even by NV Energy, says Sunrun. The rules also undermine the investments of the approximately 16,000 existing solar customers in the state. 
This is just amazing to me. Uh, joining us now to talk about this, to explain to me what I must not be understanding about this. Big government regulations running out private businesses. This is what happens, I guess, when uh, Democrats take over the state, right? Well, we'll find out. Uh, to explain all of this and what I must not understand is Lauren Randall. She's the public policy manager for Sunrun, the largest dedicated residential solar company in the U.S., and she's a spokesman for the Alliance for Solar Choice, the leading rooftop solar advocacy group. All right, um, Lauren Randall, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Brad. Uh, sure. Now, the state's governor, Brian Sandoval, has been pushing for solar uh, for uh, the last year or two, encouraging folks to go renewable in Nevada. And they were big time in Nevada. But then this happened at the end of the year. Well, we'll get, we'll get into the, the fact that I'm sure, I'm certain that conservative Republicans must be furious about this right now. Uh, but before we get into those political details, please explain to me just in general what happened here and, and what I'm not understanding about this case, because it seems to me outrageous. It's. It's absolutely outrageous. I mean, you've got that right, Brad. So this was essentially the easiest way to understand this is it's a bait and switch. So Nevada passed incentives to attract residents to go solar. And then after baiting homeowners with incentives, the state switched the rules, penalizing solar homeowners to deliver basically additional profit to NV Energy. Um, so the governor... Governor Brian Sandoval, you know, a year ago had said, come on, homeowners, go solar. Mm -hmm. And then the rules were just changed in the middle of the game for over 16,000 customers who went solar to uh, save money on their electricity bills and to really move the country where we need to be going away from fossil fuels and on to more clean energy. And, and this was a lot of people in Nevada put out a lot of money. The Guardian's article talks about a, a man uh, named Richard Stewart. He uh, has uh, solar panels that cost him about $40,000, which was most of his savings. Uh, he made the investment with his wife, who has since died, hoping to save money on heating and cooling costs in the desert. Uh, and now he regrets the investment. He says he'll be lucky to get his money back in 20 years with these new rates that have just been, you know, up applied even to old customers. So I suspect this is what we have been warned about by Republicans talking about big government uh, coming in with their regulations, making it impossible for private companies to do business, hurting consumers. Republicans in Nevada must be furious about this Democratic Governor Brian Sandoval coming in and doing this uh, in the state, right? Oh, I wish that it was that easy. Uh -huh. It is a Republican governor, what? Brian Sandoval, no. who appoints, yes, I know, ludicrous, right? Who Can't appoints be. this <laughs> appoints this three-member public utility commission who just promulgated these rules. But you are absolutely right that there is tremendous amount of backlash from both sides of the aisle on this. Just yesterday, I was at a public hearing where at least a thousand people came out between Las Vegas and Carson City to look the public utilities commissioners in the eye and ask them to overturn this decision. One of the main spokespeople there was a woman named Debbie Dooley, who mm -hmm. was a founder of the Tea Party movement. Good. Um, and there were plenty of other people who believe in, you know, consumer choice and they believe in energy freedom, who are appalled, frankly, by this decision. Well 
and who are trying to hold a Republican governor accountable for the fact that his state just did this. And, and yeah, because this actually, in truth, and I'm joking about who's responsible for this, this is a Republican governor, in fact, but this is something that uh, uh, Republicans and Democrats, Tea Partiers and progressives alike have come together uh, about, uh, in, in some cases at least, around the country. Uh, you know, progressives do it because they want, you know, clean energy. Uh, Tea Party folks like to get off the grid and, and so forth. And they found common ground here. And this seems to just blow it all up. Now, Brian Sandoval, the governor of Nevada, uh, as as you said, he appoints the commissioners on the PUC. Uh, uh, the Guardian reports that he has two aides that also work as NV Energy lobbyists. Again, NV Energy has the monopoly uh, uh, contract for uh, for electricity in the state of Nevada. Uh, is there any evidence that the apparent conflict of interest here with uh, his top aides working for the energy company, that that played any part in this new pricing scheme by the uh, Utilities Commission in Nevada? There is certainly a tremendous amount of evidence, and it's been widely reported that two of Governor Sandoval's top aides, as you said, work for NV Energy. Now, if that's not a conflict of interest, I don't know what is. And then the governor goes ahead and appoints these three commissioners. Now, what he's trying to do is distance himself from the commission's decision, mm -hmm. but he is the only one who voters can hold accountable for the fact that this commission just presented the most anti-business, anti-solar rules that we've seen really anywhere in the country. And so, yes, there certainly is evidence that there's a conflict of interest here, and Sunrun is pursuing a lawsuit right now to actually get some of the communication that the governor's had with NV Energy to see how that played into this decision. As I understand, the governor has uh, refused to turn over uh, text messages from private cell phones. I guess uh, these would be text messages between himself and uh, either his, his, his staffers who work for NV Energy or directly with NV Energy themselves. Is, is that correct? Is that what the text messages are that you guys are suing to try to get to? That's exactly correct, yes. And uh, has there been any other responses to your public records requests concerning uh, communications from the governor's office to, the, uh, uh, to either NV Energy or the Public Utilities Commission on this? Or is it only the... Uh, the, the cell phone messages you're trying to get to? We're trying to get to the cell phone messages now. What we did get were a few batches of emails between the governor and NV Energy, um, and now we're trying to get cell phone uh, text messages released because, you know, we know that there's quite a cozy relationship here, and we are looking to get to the bottom of it. Uh, NV Energy has said in a statement uh, that this, this revised rate structure fairly allocates the cost of providing electric service among all customers. It results in no additional profit to NV Energy, according to their statement. And I guess, uh, and I, I'd like to get your response to that, but also if you can explain for people who don't understand, the, the, the claim here, and I guess this goes to uh, uh, the idea of net metering, basically... The homeowners, you, you guys put uh, solar panels on their house, and this allows homeowners to use the electricity grid that they would otherwise receive electricity from. Now they get to 
reverse it and send electricity that they have gathered on their house and sell it back to the utility companies, right? And and the utility companies are now claiming that uh, th- that solar customers are not paying their fair share for maintenance of the grid. I'd, I'd love for you to respond uh, uh, to both of those thoughts, Lauren Randall. Absolutely. So I'd first say that that is a false premise. What solar homeowners are doing are they're taking control of their energy choice, and they are providing electricity, you know, they're creating basically a mini power plant on their homes, and that electricity can be shared among their neighbors as well. So what every independent study has shown that's happened across the country, and there was an independent study that uh, was commissioned by the Public Utilities Commission in Nevada a couple of years ago, what these independent studies show is that rooftop solar is actually a net benefit to all homeowners and in all rate pairs on a grid. And, you know, the way you can think about that, again, is that these are mini power plants, and they provide electricity exactly where it's needed, often during peak times when people are using electricity. When it's particularly hot, for example, in the desert in Nevada. Uh, exactly. And so you're saying that the company, uh, I'm sorry, that the uh, that the homeowners, uh, the, the solar rooftop does not, cost anything uh, to the uh, utility company, and, and we should say utility companies, because this is becoming an issue now across uh, in other states as well. Uh, you're saying that it is a net benefit that they actually uh, make money, the utility companies do, by having these uh, all of these other people producing electricity around the state. That's exactly right. And so what is their basis then is there any truth? There must be something. Maybe there isn't. There must be some truth to their basis uh, that they need to raise the price on residential uh, uh, solar customers for maintenance of the grid. They're claiming that they are free riders out there. They're enjoying somehow they're enjoying the electric grid without paying any price. Is there absolutely any evidence to support what their what their claims are? There is no evidence to support that. Again, every independent study shows that rooftop solar is a net benefit to all consumers. Now, the issue here is that this is an issue of competition, right? For the first time in over a century, these utilities are up against a new competitive threat, which is homeowners taking energy choice into their own hands. And the way that these utilities make money is through capital expenditures on new power plants, so new natural gas plants, new you know, refurbishing coal plants. And suddenly, if they can't be making those types of expenditures because people are actually creating their own mini power plants, mm-hmm. that causes potentially what they see as a competitive threat to their bottom line and how they've historically made returns over the last century. How many jobs are now lost for Sunrun and uh, and the other companies. I know you, you work for Sunrun, but you're also a spokesperson for the Alliance for Solar Choice, the trade industry group. So how many, how many jobs have not uh, imagined will be lost, but actually now have been lost due to this decision uh, over the past week or so since these new rates have taken effect in Nevada? Yeah, it's been... Um catastrophic for families in Nevada. So what we're seeing right now is upwards of a thousand job losses from this. And this comes from, you know, solar 
companies across the state. Sunrun in particular has already laid off hundreds of our employees. We have a slightly different business model than many other national solar companies, which is that we work directly with local installers. Mm -hmm. So while we've laid off hundreds of our employees, we expect to see even more layoffs from these local installers. Mm. And these are people, I was just in Las Vegas yesterday at our branch office. I mean, this is, these are people who just loved working in solar and loved doing something to disrupt the traditional utility model, save people money, bring this country where we need to be going, which is more clean energy, less dirty fossil fuels. And so, you know, I think it's just, I was struck by, yes, we can talk about the numbers here, that well over a thousand people in the solar industry no longer have a job. But these are also, you know, very personal, personal, um, personal losses yeah. for these families who had really invested their time and energy in helping people go solar. Is there any recourse at this point for customers in Nevada, for uh, for Sunrun and for the other solar companies? Will there, will there be lawsuits for from uh, uh, customers? I mean, the, the, you know, we the Guardian talks about a number of stories. Uh, Dale Matz, a retired chef who invested $30,000 in solar panels, says, I feel cheated and robbed. He had made the switch to uh, solar as both a retirement decision and to help Clim- uh, combat climate climate change. What happens next here? What recourse do these customers have? Do you guys have? Do just citizens have? Frankly, in the state of Nevada, to overturn what has happened here? Yeah. Well, I met Dale yesterday, and customers are angry. They made an investment, and they feel like this is a complete bait and switch by the state, who had you know formerly encouraged them to go solar. And now, again, have changed the rules in the middle of the game. So we heard from just hundreds and hundreds of customers who came out to look, Commissioners Noble, Thompson, and Burtonshaw in the eye yesterday and asked them to overturn this decision. Now, there is a motion for reconsideration that both the Alliance for Solar Choice and the Consumer Advocate have filed. In about the next 30 or 40 days, the Commission will likely rule on that, and that could mean that they would overturn this decision. If we don't win there, we will not stop fighting. We will certainly take this to court. Uh, We recently, most recently, did that in Wisconsin when a couple of years ago a utility of the commission in Wisconsin had actually accepted punitive fixed fees for solar homeowners. We took that to the court and the circuit court overturned that decision because of a lack of evidence. And we certainly expect that could happen in Nevada as well and will happen. That would be good news. Where else is this going on? Where else do we have concerns? Is this something, is this a new strategy now by uh, by the old fossil fuel uh, industry to to push back on solar in, uh, in all 50 states at this point? There is certainly a coordinated campaign among utilities. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway utility is the one who did this in Nevada. Mm -hmm. We'll see that in other states that Berkshire utilities operate in, like Utah, uh, where they're trying to increase fees on solar homeowners to, again, uh, eliminate this competitive threat. There was a pivotal paper that came out now a couple of years ago from the Edison Electric Institute, which is the utility trade group called Disruptive Challenges that essentially laid out the threat 
that solar would cause to the utility business model. And since that paper has come out, yes, we've seen utilities fighting in 50 states against consumer choice and against solar. And that, you know, our team on the Alliance for Solar Choice and certainly tens of thousands of people across the country have engaged to make sure that utilities do not win in these fights. Uh, this is just an amazing story, Lauren Randall. I uh, I hope to continue covering it. Uh, I know Desi Doyen, you had a, a quick question you wanted to get in as um, well. Well, I don't know if it's going to be a quick answer, but um, <laughs> you know this issue with maintaining the nation's aging electric grid infra- infrastructure. Uh, I know that many of the utilities are saying it's not fair that we have to bear the costs and we're not going to make our profits. So there has to be a way forward as more homeowners adopt rooftop solar um, because it simply makes sense. So is has Sunrun, uh, or have you guys looked at potential paths forward to working with the utilities on how we solve this problem over the long term? Are there any ways forward to look forward to? It's a great question. So uh, one place where we have come to some sort of compromise in the past uh, is in California with a minimum bill there. So there was a $10 minimum bill that we had agreed upon as the uh, solar industry to say, yes, there are some fixed costs that a solar user should uh, pay upfront. And uh, with that minimum bill, we struck a deal and continued with this net metering where consumers can export their electricity and get paid a fair rate for that. Uh, so there are, you know, strategies and pass forwards that we have brokered in some areas. At this point in California, uh, we are continuing now by likely the end of this month or early next month to try to work with the PUC there to come up with fair rates uh, and continue net metering there. Um, but there are paths forward where solar customers get to continue to get a fair compensation for the electricity they provide while still working with utilities to maintain the grid. This remains an amazing story to me because now uh, that uh, solar customers in Nevada are delivering their own energy at wholesale rates and to to the uh, utilities uh, company there, the uh, NV Energy, which gets to resell it at a profit. This seems just to me to be an extraordinary scam. And, uh, well, I guess this is what happens when people start to uh, realize that, hey, you know what? There is free energy falling from the sky over your own house, and all you got to do is uh, is collect it. And so, of course, uh, these guys, I guess, are freaking out. Uh, the idea that it is a Republican uh, governor, uh, his own uh, appointed commission, who is who is just really screwing the hell out of private companies, entrepreneurs, small businesses, as these Republicans pretend to be supporting, uh, just absolutely blows my mind. Uh, Lauren Randall, I'm I'm glad that uh, there is still some hope that they could overturn their, uh, uh, the the Public Utilities Commission in Nevada could overturn their decision, and that you guys are suing to get at the information to find out exactly what Brian, uh, Governor Brian Sandoval knew and when he knew it and what his participation uh, was in this scheme. Lauren Randall is the manager of public policy for Sunrun, the largest dedicated residential solar company in the U.S., and uh, spokesperson for the Alliance of Solar 
choice. Lauren, uh, really appreciate your your help here on, uh, today on this, and I hope you'll stay in touch because I'd like to cover this more in the future, whether it's in other states or whether it's back in Nevada uh, with uh, hopefully a victory as this moves forward. Absolutely, Brad. Thanks for having me on, and yes, I will stay in touch as we continue to fight the good fight and bring more solar to Americans across the country. Thank you. All right, you can learn more information about what the hell is going on in Nevada and what uh, Sunrun and the other companies plan to do about it by following them on the Twitters at Sunrun Policy. Uh, and you can also uh, sign up for notices where you can uh, uh, take part in any action here. They promise that they will not use this information for marketing, but you can go to bitly.com, B-I-T-L-Y dot com slash Sunrun Policy. And let them know you're interested in following along and participating in any actions uh, on this front. Uh, we the people got to push back on this. No kidding. Seriously. If we're ever going to get the fossil fuel industry the hell out of our lives. Free energy falling from the skies. And uh, this is what the, uh, the energy industry and, frankly, Republicans are willing to do to stop you from getting to it. All right. I know we're running late. Quick break. And we are back with much more Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Yes, please do. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. You know who has been behind uh, these measures around the country to uh, basically kill solar if they can is the American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC, a group, a right-wing corporatist group that is funded in no small part by the Koch brothers. Yes, the oil uh, conglomerate, uh, the Koch brothers, they, for some reason, would like to see uh, solar power go away. Well, some of us might like to see the Koch brothers go away, and uh, there is good reason for that. We, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, it's been known for a long time that the Koch brothers, their money was built on uh, Stalinist Russian money that was given to their father uh, to build oil refineries in Russia back around World War II, but uh, as I noted, it's, it's not really fair to call, them, uh, to call them commies. They're also Nazis. The father of billionaires Charles G. and David H. Koch helped construct a major oil refinery in Nazi Germany that was personally approved by Adolf Hitler. According to a new history of the Kochs and other wealthy families, the book Dark Money by Jane Mayer traces the rise of the modern conservative movement through the activism and money of a handful of rich donors, among them uh, rich in, Richard Mellon Scaife, an heir to the Mellon banking fortune, uh, and others, uh, including the Koch brothers, who became wealthy in part from military contracts but poured millions into anti-government philanthropy. 
the book, according to the New York Times, Nicholas Confessor, uh, Confessor, Confessori, according to the New York Times, how's that? Uh, the, the book is uh, largely focused on the Koch family, stretching back to its involvement in the far right John Birch Society and the political and business activities of the father, Fred C. Koch who found some of his earliest business successes overseas in the years leading up to World War II. One venture was a partnership with the American Nazi sympathizer William Rhodes Davis, who was, who, according to Ms. Mayer, hired Mr. Koch to help build the third largest oil refinery in the Third Reich, a critical industrial cog in Hitler's war machine. This episode, for some odd reason is not mentioned in an online history published by uh, published by Coke Industries. I don't Gee, know why I, w- I don't know why, why they don't they want to mention it. I would think that. they would be proud. It was a great big oil refinery. They didn't mention it for some reason. Uh, that company Coke Industries was founded by uh, Mr. Coke the the grandfather and passed on to his two sons who are great fans of the free market, which works great for people who receive Tens of millions of dollars from their father to uh, to get into that so-called free market. Pulled themselves up by their dad's own bootstra- bootstraps. Bootstraps. There you go. You're right. And of course, uh, they then went on to to, uh, to fund the American Legislative Exchange Council, which then went on to uh, screw all of those tens of thousands of solar owners in the state of Nevada. See how this all works together. <sighs> Okay. Uh, speaking of uh, things that work together, Martin O'Malley. How's that for a segue? Actually, it <laughs> makes no sense at all. But Martin O'Malley, as, as we're heading now into a, a, a weekend of debates, both Republican and Democratic uh, debates alike, which, of course, we will be covering here on the broadcast. Keep in mind, as you are watching the Democratic debate on uh, Sunday, if you can find it, as usual, the Democrats have hidden their debate. They don't want you to see it. But if you can see it, keep in mind that that guy, Martin O'Malley, that guy who isn't Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders, who's up on that stage, uh, he could play a really key role here. And yes, he will be, according to NBC News today, Martin O'Malley will, in fact, be on the stage on Sunday night with uh, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, he did make it. He did meet the uh, the threshold, the polling threshold required to be on that stage. That is good news for Martin O'Malley, who has struggled to gain the public's attention. But he could be really important, or at least his backers could be really important, in the first in the nation caucus in Iowa on February 1. Now, the way that these incredibly complicated uh, caucuses work, uh, they're different for the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party in general, and I hope I'm getting this right because it's mostly a really well-kept secret of people of Iowa. You're not supposed to know how this works if you don't live there. But basically, on the Democratic side, they go to thousands of caucus sites. I think there's 1,700 caucus meetings around the state that are often, you know, in people's houses and so forth. And they, they split up in the room according to who they support. And now you've got three candidates here, Clinton, Sanders, and O'Malley. And at the first vote, which is separating in that room, essentially raising your hands. If you don't, if you are not viable, if your candidate is not considered viable, that is, if it doesn't get the support of 15 percent of those assembled, 
then those people who had supported a candidate who are who is not viable can then choose to go support one of the other candidates. Those people are up for grabs, in other words. Correct. Yeah. If the candidate is not viable. Now, as it stands, Martin O'Malley, he's barely polling uh, about four or five percent in the state of Iowa. It was enough to get him into this debate. But it's probably not enough to be viable in the caucuses. We're still three weeks away. Anything could happen between now and then. But if, as seems to be more likely than not, uh, his supporters will have to choose or will have the option at least to choose to go with Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton if they can't uh, muster up 15 percent at their own caucus uh, in Iowa. Now, the polls are really close. If you believe the polls, if you trust the pre-election polls that are you know, carried out by independent groups who use different methodology, the polls in Iowa are now incredibly close. Sanders, uh, a Quinnipiac poll released on Tuesday shows Sanders with 49 percent and Clinton at 44. That gives Sanders a five point lead in Iowa. That's a turnaround from December when Clinton was was way up in uh, in Iowa, 51 to 40 in that same poll. Another poll uh, came out on Thursday now from Bloomberg Politics and the Des Moines Register, which seems to confirm, in fact, that Bernie is surging. It still has Clinton leading uh, 42 to 40. So that's within the margin of error, but it is incredibly tight. So that leaves, as Nora Kelly points out over at The Atlantic, that leaves O'Malley supporters with a potentially game changing choice. If the the race remains this tight, if after the first ballot, those supporters break decisively either towards Sanders or Clinton, they could deliver the crucial first state to either one of those two candidates, Sanders or Clinton. So it's not entirely clear now who Martin O'Malley supporters would actually choose as their second choice if O'Malley is not considered viable. But a recent poll from uh, public policy polling, PPP, suggests that those supporters would likely go to Sanders. They found in their analysis that in Iowa, we find O'Malley's supporters would prefer Sanders over Clinton 43 to 20, according to those findings. So it's a it's a small sample size that they are working from, that PPP is working from. But it uh, it looks like uh, if O'Malley is not viable then Sanders could get a whole lot of other support that is currently not being reflected in the polls in Iowa. As they note at The Atlantic, it puts O'Malley into a very powerful position indeed because the candidates often tell their uh, supporters, hey, if, if I'm not viable at your caucus site, I'd like you guys to support this candidate or that candidate. So keep an eye out if you watch that uh, debate, that Democratic debate on Sunday, if you can find it. Keep an eye out as to uh, who Martin O'Malley is uh, going after, who he is attacking, who he might support in a situation like that in Iowa in just a few weeks in the caucuses. Okay, a quick break. We're back with the Green News Report on uh, what? The State of the Union. Oh, yeah. It's hard to keep track. (laughs) I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast.
Everything stops for you, Jesse Doyen. I like to think so. Stopping traffic and everything else. Welcome <laughs> back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with Desi Doyen. Uh, our, our, our latest Green News report comes up momentarily concerning the State of the Union, uh, where Barack Obama talked a lot about climate and energy. But before we get to that, we talked earlier about all of these jobs lost in the solar industry in Nevada, thanks to... Republican Governor Brian Sandoval and his uh, utility commission, which has made it uh, unaffordable, frankly, for uh, people to use solar in the state of Nevada because they changed this pricing scheme to regulate them out of the market, essentially. So uh, and that is, by the way, that is not the free market. That is not what Republicans are supposed to stand for. Meanwhile, in what is left of the free market in the oil industry, Talked earlier this week, price of oil continues to plunge. Yep. Uh, now below $30 a barrel, and that too is having an effect on jobs. British oil and gas company BP has announced plans to slash 5% of its global workforce in the face of continued uh, of the continued slump in oil prices. It said it aims to reduce its global oil production headcount. That the headcount is how they refer to employees. To reduce its headcount by four thousand to twenty thousand. Wow, twenty thousand. Yeah. that's quite a spread. As it goes, uh, as it undergoes a three and a half billion dollar restructuring program, and BP is is not alone. Other uh, oil pro- producers may be doing the same uh, as well. That comes because, uh, why does that come? Well, we, we don't have time to go into why. We talked about it earlier <laughs> this week. Look it up. But there is a glut of oil on the market, uh, thanks in no small part to, uh, to fracking here in the U.S., thanks in no small part to Barack Obama allowing them to uh, uh, pull out energy at a record rate from this great land, whether Republicans will tell you that or not. Which brings us, of course, to our latest Green News Report. 60 years ago... When the Russians beat us into space, we didn't deny Sputnik was up there. Green News Report special coverage. President Obama's final State of the Union address. What he said, what he didn't, and the Republican response. All of that and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. For this final one, I'm going to try to make it a little shorter. Fail, Mr. President. This is your Green News Report. I know some of you are antsy to get back to Iowa. Okay, Desi Doyen, I know you want to focus on Barack Obama's final State of the Union address, but before we get to that, some news out of Flint, Michigan. Michigan's Republican Governor Rick Snyder has finally, finally, after I don't know how many months, requested federal assistance from FEMA to deal with the widespread toxic lead contamination in the water supply of Flint, Michigan, that was caused by Governor Rick Snyder's administration. So uh, maybe some water and uh, water filters to get the lead contamination out of the water is finally on its way to Flint? It looks like it's finally on the way. He's activated the National Guard to deliver bottled water as well. Take your time, Governor. And by the way, you ought to resign while you're at it. 
What do you have for us today, Desi Doyen? Well, President Obama gave his final State of the Union address on Tuesday. He sought to draw a hopeful vision of the future for the country with major challenges ahead in coming decades. You think? Obama has devoted considerable time, more than any other president, to action on climate change. But in his speech, he first highlighted the successes of his broad-based energy policies from the expansion of renewable energy to the boom in oil and natural gas drilling. Emphasis on boom. I guess. Wind power is now cheaper than dirtier conventional power. Solar is saving Americans tens of millions of dollars a year and employs more Americans than coal. Meanwhile, we've cut our imports of foreign oil by nearly 60% and cut carbon pollution more than any other country on earth. (laughs) Gas under two bucks a gallon ain't bad either. And, of course, cheap gas encourages consumers to burn even more gas, and that's the opposite of his stated goal of reducing the greenhouse gas emissions that cause dangerous climate change. Yeah, but cheap gas is really popular, isn't it? It is. And the boom in natural gas fracking... There's that boom again. (laughs) ...has been the primary driver behind the decline in the use of coal for electricity during his administration, but it's also caused earthquakes and contaminated drinking water supplies. Oh, there's that. It's true, however, that the solar sector now employs more people than the coal or oil extraction industries. Amazing. No wonder the Republicans hate it. He didn't mention his landmark policy actions on climate change, like the Clean Power Plan, the first ever standards to reduce emissions from the nation's largest single source of emissions, power plants, or the historic emissions deal with China, or the fact that he implemented the first new fuel efficiency standards for the nation's cars and trucks in 40 years. Yeah, the speech was long enough already, though, really, wasn't it? Obama mocked the climate change science deniers in the Republican Party and used it to promote the economic benefits of transitioning to clean energy. Look, If anybody still wants to dispute the science around climate change, have at it. You will be pretty lonely because you'll be debating our military, most of America's business leaders, the majority of the American people, almost the entire scientific community, and 200 nations around the world who agree it's a problem and intend to solve it. But... But even if... Even if the planet wasn't at stake, even if 2014 wasn't the warmest year on record, until 2015 turned out to be even hotter, why would we want to pass up the chance for American businesses to produce and sell the energy of the future? That's a very good question, Desi Doyen. Why do Republicans want to pass that up? I think because their major funders are the fossil fuel industry, and that's who they work for. Not the solar industry, and not the wind industry. Definitely not. Republican South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley delivered the Republican response. She criticized Obama on health care, the economy, immigration, and terrorism. And we would play for you what she said about climate and energy, but she didn't say anything on that or the booming U.S. clean energy economy. Probably a smart idea. This is the last State of the Union address for two years. By this time next year, we'll have a new president-elect and a new energy policy and climate agenda to look forward to. Or, depending on who wins, to look backwards at. If you'd like to look forward or backwards at our coverage today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes, where we hope you'll give us a good review. 
Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. Well, this could be the last time. This could be the last time. Maybe the last time. I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be the last time. That's well, it. <laughs> well I for Obama. I, yeah, I don't think he's going to give any more states of the union. Uh, thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Uh, we've got just a few seconds here, but a, a couple of the things very quickly on our way out here. One is this uh, story in Flint continues to be incredible concerning the water. Now they're tying this outbreak of Legionnaire's disease potentially to the uh, to to the contaminated water, the the, the, well, lead, the corroded toxic pipes. lead water yeah, in they Flint. Have- ancient infrastructure there and that seems to they they say could very possibly be a factor in this Mm -hmm. outbreak this spike in legionnaires disease but it's not it's not clear yet uh i i don't know what else would have uh coincidentally caused it at this moment it Uh, does seem odd yeah and 10 people are now dead uh rick rick snyder needs to step down uh they are calling michael moore is now calling for him to step down and to be arrested both either or so there is an arrest Rick Snyder movement going on. If he knew about the poisoning going on in Flint, then did nothing, then they would have a cause of action. I there. can't believe that. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is incredible. I don't see how Rick Snyder uh, survives this. Okay, also very quickly in the Pacific. Is it the Pacific where we have these storms? Uh, there is a double thing going on right now, both in the Pacific and the Atlantic, unprecedented for the first time to have hurricanes forming this early in the year. It's January. On average, hurricane season starts to form in July. <laughs> Just another coincidence, Desi Doyen. Yeah, nothing weird about that at all. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to my guest today, Lauren Randall of Sunrun and the Alliance for Solar Choice. Uh, And as always, uh, thanks to you. If you have any thoughts or questions or concerns or complaints or anything else about today's program, my email is bradcast at bradblog.com. And you can follow me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at The Brad Blog. All right, that's it for now. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. (laughs) 